Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. On today's podcast, we sit down with Hall of Fame coach Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder transformed the program at Kansas State and took some time to sit down with us and talk about his career and what he believes to be the important elements of leading a winning football program. We recorded this during the Virtual Coaches Summit last month. And I was honored to be able to take time to talk to Coach and ask him some questions that I had, as well as some questions from our listeners. Before we go into today's podcast, please check out all we're doing at footballdevelopment.com. We have some great systems drills there for you for tackling, blocking, and defeating blocks, which I think right now looking at some non-contact ways to get your players going uh, would be a great start for you. Please check that out at footballdevelopment.com. And also, for the high school coach who leads his high school program as well as the youth program in his community, check out our Football for All podcast designed for your youth community. Uh, There's some great educational pieces, and we talk to coaches, players, uh, other stakeholders in the football community about how the football development model can help build your program. Again, check that out. It's the Football for All podcast. You can find that at fdm.usafootball.com. So here we go. Here's our interview with Coach Bill Snyder. Well, Coach, what we're going to do today, and, and uh, for um, our, our, our guests here, uh, please feel free to use the Q&A button, and Coach and I will get talking here, and as some of your questions come up, we'll get to those as well. Uh, but, Coach, I uh, normally host a, a podcast with coaches. We don't do that uh, via video, but it's, it's really good to be on video and see you here. Um, and what we really talk about is just, you know, the, your progression through uh, the coaching profession and going back from the beginning, Coach, when, when you think of that first time when you thought about being a coach, what was it that inspired you to be a football coach? Well, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it's interesting. I have, uh, I can't ever remember wanting to be anything other than a football coach, but I always felt that that was uh, maybe the Lord's choice or, uh, that it was just what I was destined to become. I was, a uh, an only child to a, a single parent mother. My mother and father divorced when I was six years old and my mother, uh, put me into the YMCA so that I wasn't out on the streets and, uh, as a young pup. And so I got involved in, in sports. And uh, so the rest of my life, uh, going through uh, elementary school and uh, middle school, junior high school, high school, I was very active in sports. I wasn't very good, but I was active. I, I played all of them. And I, w- I just felt, uh, you know, if someone at that time asked me uh, what, uh, what I would do in my future, I said, you know, where will sports take me? And uh, it would take me into coaching because I knew I wasn't good enough to play in the, you know, professional athletics. So I, I never, uh, I never saw it any other way. And that was always uh, uh, what I thought I was destined to do, so to speak. As, as you got into the coaching profession, um, what, what were some of the things you remember learning from, you know, your mentors in the game that 
just really stuck with you and became part of who you are as a coach? Well, I, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting you say that because I've always been a strong believer and have always shared it with players in our program how probably as significant a thing as anyone can do is to uh, bring people into your life that uh, make your life better. You know, who, people who can, will, want to make your life better. And I've been blessed to have, uh, continually have those types of people in my, in my life. And I learned through my mother, you know, to reach out. And obviously it has to be reciprocal, but uh, by the same token, uh, I, I did. I reached out and so many wonderful people came into my life, beginning with uh, you know, my mother and my grandparents, and then uh, elementary school teachers that, uh, <clears throat> that I had, uh, people in middle school, people in the high school coaches, you know, at the high school level, and coaches at the college level, and I learned something from all of them, and probably uh, most of it was, you know, centered around uh, a value system, and what what are the really important things in your life not not just football but uh, uh in all facets of your life you know and what uh you know what are the values that you can bring into your life that give you an opportunity to become successful in life you know whether it's family or faith or your education or athletics uh so be it uh, but uh those were uh, the significant things that I learned, not that I didn't learn a lot of other things from the football aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, uh, I was a high school coach in Southern California for a while. Uh, and I think uh, eight years in California. And I used to go to all of the coaching clinics that were held on the West Coast. And it was amazing. You know, I've been around the United States and uh, California uh, they had a uh, a dozen coaching clinics every weekend, 52 weeks out of the year. And they had all the college coaches up and down the coast that would uh, that would come in. And I used to attend as many as I could. And I, I learned a great deal about, uh, you know, quote unquote, football itself, you know, that way. I still have notebooks full of information <laughs> going back, whatever that is, 50 years, 40 years, something like that, 50, I think, so. Uh, but uh, every everybody I've, I've been with, uh, Doctor Doctor Norris Patterson was my football coach at William Jewell College, uh, and uh, it was also the athletic director there. But he was a marvelous individual, and uh, those values that one possessed were what were really important to him. And he built his very successful program based on uh, based on that. And uh, so he he brought. Uh, a lot to a lot to me and it was uh, very beneficial in my life but as I said I've had uh, wonderful people throughout my life that uh, have uh, been a blessing. So coach as as you built you know that that foundation and those pillars those values what were the values that you communicated to your teams over the years that you know really formed the culture of everything you were doing? Well we we established, uh, you know, very early, a, uh, and started out with the lower number, but uh, what became uh, the 16 Wildcat goals for success. And they were all values. And they were the same values that you would teach your children or anybody else. They're not rocket science. And it's just uh, being able to, you know, identify things that, uh, that parents try to teach their children. Uh, and it was more than just uh, having the words, you know, there's commitment and responsibility and hard work and discipline, you know, those types of things. And, uh, and I think the same things that you find on any locker room wall, you know, that uh, you, know, you go into any high school, any college, any NFL program, and on the wall, there's all these words. And the important thing was not the words themselves. <clears throat> Uh, but it was to what I found out, it was important to have, you know, a program in place for each one so that you could continually be promoting each of those particular values. 
And in doing so, and it was ongoing, and it was a process that players would go through in order to enhance, you know, a particular value or a particular set of values. And therefore, they were, uh, they were practicing those values on a daily basis. And so uh, it became easier for them to become ingrained in their, in their being, so to speak. I, you know, example, one of them, you know, is, uh, uh, I'll take uh, unity. <clears throat> the uh, to be uh, you know to be a team oriented uh, that concept you know is that we do it together and uh, no one individual more significant than the other and it takes a team as as virtually all coaches try to share with their with their players and their team. Uh, and one of the things that we would do to try to unify our players to really get them to feel uh, a great deal of trust with each other, <clears throat> we would have a unity period, which we did virtually every day. And it would be a two minute period normally, and we would divide our players up so they were paired off. And each day that pair would change, you know, one line would move one way and the other one would move the other way. And so every day a player would visit with a different player. So if you have 130 players, that's whatever that is, 129 days that you uh, are matching up with a different individual. And I would give them a topic each day. And uh, the topics were a multitude of different thoughts, but uh, they graduated into being uh, very personal and topics in which uh, you would probably not share information about with someone who was not a dear friend or family member. And I always felt that, you know, as, as players continued to feel more at ease uh, as they uh, went through the process, and felt more comfortable being able to share, you know, personal information, family information with others that they, they wouldn't have done so without a feeling of trust. And consequently, I thought that it helped build a great deal of trust uh, amongst the players and the team and consequently a greater unity and a greater feeling for, for each other. So it was a matter of being able to have a process that you can help develop those those values so to speak rather than just post them on the wall yeah they there has to be the action behind them right there has to be the behaviors that you build exactly so uh, we got a good question that came up here from uh, coach Lepke when for those values that you believed uh, that Kansas State should stand for what were some of the things you did in recruiting to help identify players that were going to be the right fit that they you know, they would, would be able to, um, I guess, essentially embody some of those values. Well, I, and it's interesting, the, the question. I appreciate that because that was significant in our recruiting. And I would uh, have all of our, our coaches, I mean, the process amounted to, you know, first of all, you <clears throat> identify those young people that, you know, you feel have the athletic talent, uh, football skills, et cetera, to be in your program. And uh, we would, and, and that varied with us, uh, probably more so than it did a lot of schools uh, based on where our location is and where our recruiting base was. Uh, but uh, coaches would go into uh, a school, uh, they would arrange beforehand, you know, and after, this is after they've had dialogue with a, a young player and his family, but they would, uh, they would spend time with uh, significant people in the high school environment that would really have a strong knowledge, you know, of the value system of a young person. I mean, certainly, I mean, we talk to administrators, you talk with the principal, you talk with the vice principal, whoever's in charge of discipline, you talk with the teachers, you know, everybody, you know, can go to a high school coach, most high school coaches, uh, and appropriately, so we're going to say very positive things about the young people that, uh, uh, that they have, 
and and I can appreciate that. But we wanted to dig deeper than that. And so we would visit with teachers, we'd visit with secretaries, uh, we'd visit with custodians uh, in the building. I mean, people who would have an opportunity to see pe people in the cafeteria. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and those kind of people would, would give us uh, what we felt was an unbiased uh, opinion or assessment of, uh, of a young person. You know, we'd follow up with uh, friends. The young person had, uh, had a, a girlfriend. You know, we would have dialogue with, uh, with the girlfriend. We tried to identify all the people that uh, were central in his life and be able to have dialogue with them. Uh, and then, you know, if, uh, uh, if all that worked well, then obviously we do like everyone does, you know, bring a young person in and spend time, you know, visiting with them and, and about, you know, the, the value system. Now that doesn't set well with every young person because they really want to get invested in football and you, you know, certainly have to carry on dialogue about that as well. But the other part of it was more significant to us. Mm -hmm. And, and consequently, uh, you know, I think uh, for the most part, it doesn't mean we didn't make our mistakes. But by the same token, uh, we had uh, a lot of wonderful young people that came in our program and, and uh, so many of them not highly recruited at all, if recruited at all, and, and became extremely fine players in our, in our program because of their value system. And that was important to me, the understanding, you know, you wanted good people and good young men, but by the same token, it's always been my belief that the, the, the stronger that value system, uh, the greater improvement that a young person can make over a period of time. And that was the thing that I was so proud of is that young people from the time they entered until, you know, they left Kansas State is that there was a continual improvement that took them to, uh, so many of them anyway, to heights far greater than anyone would have anticipated. Coach, as, as you uh, came back to coaching your last time and now there's all this social media and, and, I, and I have to say, uh, there was another coach on the podcast the other day, uh, I can't remember what uh, college he was from, but said that exact same thing that, that especially, you know, being in the high school, the person who kind of knows everything about what's going on with teachers, administrators, uh, the kids in the hallway, is that lady who sits at the front desk, right? So she's able to tell you a lot. He made a point that that's always somebody he would talk to in recruiting. Um, but as you came back and now the social media, which, you know, kind of gives us a, at least a little bit more of a window into uh, people's lives. How much did that play a part in, and again, looking at what, you know, what's this kid really like? What, what are the values? Is this a person we'd want? Well, it was important to be able to research the, uh, you know, the, what was out there uh, with somebody more skilled at it than I was, but we had, you know, younger coaches in our program, you know, had a good feel about uh, social networking and they could uh, go online and identify. There's an awful lot that you can tell about a person, sure. as you and everyone well knows. And, you know, at that young age, sometimes uh, they, uh, sometimes they don't really realize that that's going to be with them for the rest of their lives. And so uh, it, it's going to affect, uh, you know, where they go to school. It's going to affect uh, scholarships. It's going to affect their, their life uh, after, after college. It's going to affect uh, uh, finding a job and, uh, you know, whatever else there is in, uh, in your life. But that was important to us is to be able to go on and, and thoroughly research all we could anyway uh, through, you know, through the internet. And it's not a matter of uh, not, you know, talking with a young person and not that we didn't want to give them the feeling that we didn't trust them. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the case. You know, it was just, you know, we wanted to find out, you know, everything that we could. And there are some things that, uh, you know, maybe you just, wouldn't, wouldn't think of to ask a young person right. that all of a sudden pops up on, on social media for you. But it was, uh, it was not easy for me because I wasn't invested in social media at that time. That was, that was just about the time that there was some turnover in that regard, right. and some change. 
And, uh, but I was fortunate to have people in the program that, uh, uh, that knew, you know, how to handle it. Sure. Um, cause we're talking, you know, about establishing that foundation and, and the values and your culture. And we've got a question here from, uh, Charles Eaton, who is the head coach at a, a new program at a 4A Oklahoma school. And he asked, what insights can you give him about developing a culture where there's never been any? Well, it, you know, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I can only relate back to when I first came to Kansas State University uh, from the University of Iowa. And, uh, I, and, I, and it takes me back to the very first meeting that I had with uh, the players in the program. And we had, uh, <clears throat> we had, that was when you could have 95 on scholarship and we had 47 players that were on scholarship at the time. That was it. Wow. And I remember the first meeting with, uh, with them and uh, I, I just wanted to introduce myself and tell them about me and that I wanted to hear about them. I, as I shared with them, I didn't really want to talk about football, uh, but just wanted to get to know them. And I was, really taken back, you know, it's just, it's almost as though it was yesterday. Uh, and I remember young people getting up to speak and the things that they said, you know, the very first young man that got up, I remember, you know, said, coach, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, early December and there's snow on the ground and uh, it's cold out and you look around and we all have jackets on, but nobody has a letter jacket on. And he said, we're all too embarrassed to wear them. There wasn't a player in that room that had ever participated in a football game that they had won at that university. Wow. Not one. And another young guy got up and said, uh, you know, coach, he said, uh, uh, we don't go to classes on Monday. And another young guy got up and said, coach, most of us don't go on Tuesday either, you know, after, after ball games. And they talked about the social life and, uh, there's an area in Manhattan called Aggieville, which uh, right next to the university in a uh, entertainment uh, area and uh, students, you know, flock down there uh, during the course of the year and particularly uh, on weekends. And our players said, uh, you know, coach, you don't know about that area, but uh, everyone goes there. He said, players don't. We don't go because we're too embarrassed. And, and that uh, that was the culture at that time, which was mm -hmm. the question. And I uh, had to leave town right after that meeting, but uh, everything that was said was just so vivid in my mind. And I called back and I had them do some research on the GPAs of the players in the program from the time they entered the university until that moment. And every single individual GPA had deteriorated during that period of time, every single one of them. And what, what I realized at the time was that environment had uh, dramatically impacted, you know, the, the personal lives, the social lives, the family lives, the academic lives of all those young men. So the culture in a very negative way had dramatically impacted their lives. And, and I shared with the player, just to indicate the kind of culture we created or tried to, I shared with our players after a short period of time <clears throat> that I was there and got to be around them. Uh, I, I took them out, I'll tell you how I did it. I took them out on the football field in the stadium one day and had the scoreboard turned on. And I got them all together and I pointed to the scoreboard and I said, uh, I am not going to assess you based on what it says on that scoreboard. I said, but I will assess you based on your capacity to be committed to improvement every single day that we're together. Improvement in all areas of your life improvement in all priorities of your life, you know, your faith, your family, and being the best person, being the best student, and being the best football athlete you can be. And uh, that, was, that was the, the essence of uh, 
what we tried to establish. And, and it was as much as anything, it was one of those values, which is daily improvement, finding a way to get a little bit better every single day of our lives. And, and it was just, it was a matter of just becoming a little bit better. You know, it wasn't reaching uh, the upper echelon of things that are important to us. It was just gradually taking the steps to get there and learning how to, to do that, which was learning how to achieve goals. And, uh, and that, that in itself was uh, a mark of daily improvement. And I used to, uh, you know, part of the process again, uh, I would have our, our coaches, when they would have meetings with their players, identify, you know, those things that a player wanted to improve upon. Number one, what do you want to improve upon? Number two, how are you going to go about doing it? We would have, we would have team meetings uh, before we ever got uh, started with football. And shortly after I arrived there and you were allowed to have more meeting time than you have now. But I would have team meeting every day before they broke up. And I would always start with, picking out individuals, asking what's important to you? What are your priorities? What do you desire to achieve? And they would go around and, you know, I would ask and they'd tell me what was important. But when they would tell me what's important in their life, then I would say, how can you become better at that priority in your life today? You know, and we did it every single day. And they, you know, at first they were hesitant Mm -hmm. and really thought that, hey, you know, this guy's crazy and uh, he's not talking about football and this will go away in a short period of time. But I'm pretty persistent and, and it didn't. And pretty soon they got invested in it. And so every day we'd have those sessions and a young man would tell me something that he was uh, highly, uh, that was extremely important in his life and uh, either at that point in time or in the future. And what he could do in order to improve in that area. And it's, and it's kind of like with, uh, with football, and, you know, just the, the nature of uh, uh, technical football. I would uh, have our coaches have each player in their meetings each day before a practice session define what that individual, what each individual wanted to improve upon. And after practices, uh, we had, uh, this was back many sets of facilities ago, but uh, we had uh, two doors to the locker room. And I would have the assistant coaches stand at one door, and I would stand at the other door and have all the players come out the door I was standing at. <laughs> and I would stop each one, and I would ask the question, you know, what were you to improve upon today? What was it that you decided you wanted to get better at today? And did you? And if you did, how did you do it? And if you didn't, what are we gonna do about making sure that you do? And, and that happened every single day. And so, you know, it ingrained that culture of daily improvement. And uh, it, the interesting thing is you look at, they, they only won one game the first year, but it was one more than they'd won in their careers there. And mm -hmm. the next year, they won four. Then they won five. Then they won seven. Then they won nine. Then they won 10. Then they won 11. Then they won 11. Then they won 11. Then they won 11, et cetera. And so it, was, it, it wasn't something that just... Uh, rose out of the sand like Las Vegas, it was just gradual improvement. And it was a great example. We were so fortunate. It was a great example of what just a little bit of improvement each and every day can lead to over a period of time and kind of sold the, the message. So that was our culture. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great example of, of how to do it and just to care for players there. And you know, in that, you've you brought up the staff now several times, and we have some really good questions here from uh, some of our audience about 
coaching staff. We'll start with this one. Um, someone asked, when you're looking at um, hiring a new coach, um, what are the things that you and your staff are looking at? Um, maybe some of the main things you're looking at for if he's going to be a big, a good fit within, within your program, within your culture. Well, I think first and foremost, I mean, if, uh, if a strong value system is important, then certainly the coaches have to possess that. And so all those things that are important with the young players, you know, in regards to their commitment and their integrity and the discipline and the hard work and the responsibility and accountability, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all things that uh, I had to feel comfortable uh, were ingrained in the coaches that, uh, that we had in our program. And I, I was fortunate because I'd, I'd been in, you know, coaching for a long time before I took the position at Kansas State. Uh, and uh, so I, I had a good understanding of, uh, of virtually all the coaches that I, that I hired. They were, uh, had been, uh, I will say what, friends, coaching friends uh, for a period of time, most of them anyway. With, with that, so coach, the, the guys who have come in and worked for you, um, you have an incredible coaching tree. Uh, question from uh, Brad Birchfield here in Ohio. Wants to know, uh, how did you manage preparing your assistants to be head coaches and I guess leave Kansas State uh, relative to the value of keeping continuity with a staff? Well, we probably spent more time together than uh, I'm talking about uh, myself and our staff, <clears throat> probably spent more time together than most staffs do. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, it was important to me, and that's kind of the way I knew how to do it. And so uh, we met uh, uh, a, a pretty substantial amount of time for coaching staff. Uh, and, and I would convey to our coaches, you know, virtually anything and everything that was significant and important to me. And, and I wanted responses out of our coaches, you know, to share exactly, you know, the same thing. And uh, certainly part of it was, uh, was the X's and O's and the fundamentals, et cetera. But uh, so much of it was, uh, as we talked about, uh, the, the values uh, of the young people in our program and our coaches and how we might uh, impart and, and help develop those values. Uh, that was a significant force. And, uh, and defining those things that were really important in, uh, in a young person's life uh, at that time in their in their livelihood while they were at the university with us, uh, ways that we can or could you know reach out to them and uh, get the message across of what was uh, important in their in their lives and how it pertained to their development as a young football athlete as uh, as well, and uh, you know I would uh, I would have our coaches. Uh, and it was tedious, uh, but our coaches would uh, go through uh, in our staff meeting, you know, each one would uh, go through the, their agenda for uh, their meetings, uh, you know, what they were going to cover, etc. So everybody was aware of what everyone else was, uh, was doing. Uh, and, uh, you know, when things were uh, maybe there was some uncertainty or something that uh, was not totally uh, ag agreed upon. It was out on the table and we could discuss it. So there wasn't any, uh, I don't know what he's doing. It, it's kind of like you go on a football field and you get, uh, you know, a bunch of offensive linemen or any positions, you know, that work adjacent to each other. And uh, too often A doesn't know what B is doing and that consequently creates some problems. And I think that's true as far as uh, coaching as well, you know, is that everybody knows what everybody else is doing and not only what they're doing, but how they're doing it. And because we can learn from each other. I mean, I learn from our coaches as well as uh, they learning from me. Uh, Jeff Steinberg, uh, the coach in California said, coach, you're always known for doing an incredible job of coaching the coaches. I've read how you would take notes of how coaches were conducting drills during practice, then share the notes with the staff following the practice. 
what types of things would you specifically be looking for? Well, I would look for all of them. I, I found the best way because I couldn't <clears throat> write fast enough. So <clears throat> most of my career, I've used a tape recorder. And I would go through each of the drills and tape record uh, the positive things that were taking place and things that I thought needed to be improved upon. And that would be part of the dialogue in our staff meetings. And, you know, uh, and it wasn't anything specific, you know, to look at. It was virtually all of it. And it might have been something that I would question, but uh, there might have been a perfectly uh, appropriate answer, you know, for why it was being done that way. And a lot of people don't like to be scrutinized that way, but the coaches and the program understood uh, that we all could learn from each other. And that was the best way, or at least the only way that I knew to be able to do it was to be able to get all those things out on the, out on the table. So we'd take the time and uh, <clears throat> we'd, you know, discuss each individual's drill work and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, how they uh, handled their coaching during a, a team period. Uh, and you think back, you know, as a coach, you, you think yourself, you know, uh, we, we didn't step in the game knowing at all. I mean, we thought we did quite obviously, but, uh, but we didn't, and we learned as we went. I mean, those that, you know, have coached for a long period of time understand, you know, you learned as you went, and you learned from each other, and consequently being uh, open enough and uh, not, uh, uh, not having a sensitivity to it other than positive, uh, I think uh, benefits, you know, coaches, young coaches, old coaches as well. Uh, and if you can be open that way, realizing that uh, you can learn from others and uh, yes, we all make mistakes or maybe, maybe not mistakes, but maybe we do some things that could be done a little bit better and be more beneficial if done a certain way. And so there was an awful lot of dialogue and the dialogue again was not just for me to always get a point across. The dialogue was so that each of our coaches could learn from each other. And consequently, if somebody was doing something in their teaching uh, that maybe somebody else hadn't done before, but it was, uh, you know, it was uh, an idea that struck a chord, you know, and said, hey, I could do that and therefore enhance my, my teaching capacity. And so everybody learned from each other. We do have some, some questions for, from some young coaches here in the audience, but uh, along the lines of what you're talking about, and guess what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you have this, as you guys are getting success, this incubator for coaches, right? They're leaving you and going on and having success at other places. Did you ever have a situation where you might have talked to a young guy who felt it was time maybe to move on and, and you felt he could benefit maybe by staying longer, anything that you've had to uh, – I guess, encourage a guy to, to hang on a little bit before he made a move? Well, uh, yes. I mean, that, that has happened. And, uh, and I did it. I, did, I came to a realization nobody likes to turn co coaches over all the time. Uh, <clears throat> and, and I'm probably no different than that. But, you know, I came to a realization uh, early in my career, uh, being an assistant coach, that uh, everybody – you know, that uh, most everyone that's in this profession, you know, wants to aspire to the highest level that they possibly can. Uh, I, I know when I was a young coach, uh, I was always looking for the next step. But the problem is, you know, I was trying to be someplace else other than where I was. And consequently, I wasn't very good where I was. And I think the important thing to, for coaches to understand is, yes, we all want to aspire to a certain level, but the important thing is be where you are. Do the dead level best that you possibly can, and then those opportunities will come to you. And so consequently, you know, in my uh, relationship with uh, coaches, uh, I wanted to see them move on uh, to a better, uh, higher level of coaching. And when I say a higher level to move up from position coach to coordinator, coordinator to head coach, et cetera, those types of things. And, and yet, you know, you, when you've gone through it as uh, in the stages that I did and being in it for as long as I was, 
uh, you have a pretty good idea of what, uh, you know, when somebody is, uh, is ready and when a particular job is right, you know, for, uh, for that individual. And, and so I've, uh, yeah, I've, uh, was very honest with, with coaches in that, uh, in that respect. Most of, most all of them were ready. There are a few occasions where, uh, a little bit longer in the system, uh, worked out to their advantage. I have a, a question, um, from a, a young coach here, Kyle Kiernan wants to know what you think are the key components for that coach to uh, create the, the culture within his position group, especially as a young coach. I know we have a lot of guys who, who step into that role from being a player um, right onto the field. A lot of times now these guys will get, you know, hear a lot of guys, you know, being at the same school. So they're actually coaching their peers, but uh, establishing that culture and, and I guess leadership from, from a young coach to their position. Well, I think first and foremost, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's uh, probably two particular areas. One is, you know, that you have to gain the respect <clears throat> of the young people that you're working with. And when you, uh, when you demonstrate that you genuinely care about them, I mean, everybody hears that, but uh, that, you're, that you're willing to be invested in more than just football, that you're able to spend time with a youngster in your position, uh, individual time in regards to their family life, their personal life, their academic life, uh, that, that, and you do it in such a way that a young person can identify this coach is sincere. He's genuine. He cares about me as a person, not just as an offensive lineman or a defensive back or whatever the case may be. And that establishes trust. It establishes uh, a, a feeling of sensitivity towards the individual. And consequently, it allows a young person to become more ingrained in uh, the football aspect of it. You know, I can trust what this individual is saying. And pretty soon there is that, that passion. As you will hear players say sometimes, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do so well for my coach. You know, that's, that has great meaning to it. That's pretty, pretty special. And, uh, you know, when you, and, and you can do that simultaneously with being able to, you know, teach the fundamentals teach the schemes, et cetera. Uh, and, and yet, uh, I think there is, a, I think we're fading away from it right now a little bit, but I think uh, a coach uh, in conjunction with that has to be demanding as well. You know, I, I believe in that. And I think uh, if, I, if I want to see an individual become the very best that they can possibly become, in all facets of their life. But in this case, we're talking about on the football field. And <clears throat> part of that is going to be, what will I accept? And what will I not accept? And will I be demanding enough? You know, and, and the being demanding can't come without having that trust of the young person you're working with. And when, when you have that trust from them, then you can demand more and more and more. And it goes back to that daily improvement. You know, I, wherever you are today, you know, it's so easy for a young person or an old person for that matter to be able to say, hey, I've, I've arrived, I'm here. And, and yet there's another step. And being able to continually try to reach out and be demanding enough to try to get a young person to understand, yes, there is another step. I could be even better. I can find that way to become a little bit better tomorrow than I am today. We also have a, a couple young college coaches uh, in the audience. And the question uh, from, from two of them had to deal with uh, developing junior college transfers. And I would think right now, even, you know, you look at the portal and how that's become a big part of it, new guys coming into your program. So thoughts on um, being able to prepare them as, key contributors um, in bringing them into your program, especially 
you know, their first year in the program? Well, you know, it's, a, again, an interesting and a good question. Uh, you know, I think there is a, uh, there's a sensitivity out there to community college players. And uh, so many people view a community college player as being in a community college be some, because something is wrong in his life, because he's not a good person or he's not a good student, you know, whatever the case may be. And uh, I, I don't believe that way, never have believed that way. Uh, I think, uh, and it doesn't, I mean, there, there's good youngsters and bad youngsters uh, at high schools, just like there is community colleges. And, and I think first and foremost with community college uh, young people, uh, our approach was exactly the same. You know, we wanted to find, you know, those young guys that had a strong value system. And we've had a lot of good community college players in our program who were excellent young people. And uh, the, uh, so uh, I, I guess the long and the short of it is we, we didn't uh, treat the recruiting of community college individual any different, you know, than we did with a, uh, with a high school youngster. You know, to me, good people are good people. And that's what we were looking for. If they didn't pass that, <clears throat> that initial test, then obviously we weren't, uh, we weren't going to recruit them. But, but again, I go back to that same thought as so many people see uh, community college uh, young people as uh, not good people. And that's so far from the truth. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got a question here, um, kind of questions I should say a little bit more along the lines of the X's and O's and things that you felt were key. And uh, another uh, college coach here, Jesse Courier asked, uh, along with turnovers, what statistical categories did you focus on to give your program a winning edge? Well, I think all those things, you know, I'm uh, being a quite, what would you call it, old school uh, fellow. Uh, it, it was don't beat yourself. And that's always been significant to me. And that's why turnovers and penalties uh, were major in, in our program, you know, and, 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 centered along with that is just the elimination of mistakes, you know, whether it happens to be technical mistakes, fundamental mistakes uh, relating to assignment or technique, uh, but, but not beating yourself. And then uh, I think the, you know, the key element uh, for us uh, became how can we be, uh, how can we be a team that, uh, that is not, uh, when, when you have to play us, that you are not going to have in place the same preparation that you would have for the first five or six or seven teams that you have faced. Uh, in other words, we're not gonna run the same offense, we're not gonna run the same defense. Uh, we're gonna practice the same stuff every week, but it's gonna be something that is different for you when, uh, when our, our number comes up. I, I give you an example. Uh, <clears throat> we, were, we were the first team to get invested fully in the quarterback run game. Right. And, and, uh, but people didn't do that at that time. So it just made sense to me uh, because of the way people lined up on defense, you outnumbered them you know, with the quarterback run game. So that became very significant in our offense because uh, you didn't face that every week, but when you got to us, now all of a sudden you faced it. And so you had to make, spend a lot of time during the course of the week making adjustments that you normally wouldn't have to make. Things similar to that. Yeah, we, we had a question about that from coach uh, Jordan Gush and was asking about, you know, your offense as it evolved, adding elements when you had guys like Bishop and Roberson, you know, adding the zone, zone read and those kinds of things. Um, you know, how much do you, you balance as you see new things come into vogue, kind of sticking with this is who we are with kind of evolving a little bit? Well, what was important to me, and I learned, you know, a long time ago, you know, you better do what the players in your program can do. <clears throat> and I think sometimes we see, and, and I was no different, we see certain things that we really like, but uh, does it really fit the personnel that you have? Can your players actually function at the highest level uh, doing those types of things? 
And if so, then obviously there's things that you would implement in your defense, your offense, or your kicking game. But uh, not, not just because of the dynamics of the schemes, uh, but because your players were very, very capable of it. You know, I, I, it, it is important. I think most coaches understand that. It's highly important to be able to define uh, what, uh, what each of your players really, uh, what, what are their strengths? What are they highly capable of? Where, where do they excel? Where maybe not as much? And where do they uh, have some deficiencies? And, and not, be, not put a player in a position where he has to do things that he doesn't do well. You brought up the special teams. We had a question about that with your special teams really being a difference maker for you, for you at Kansas State. What were the things that you felt were foundational in helping create that success? Well, I think number one is just the emphasis <clears throat> that you placed on it. Uh, we had, uh, uh, you know, we spent a, a substantial amount of time uh, on the field with, uh, with special teams. Uh, the uh, significance of being able to make it highly uh, available to every player in our program. You know, a lot of times you will see programs that, you know, uh, take younger players, uh, maybe not your starters, and uh, invest them in special teams. Every individual in our program uh, later on, it became every individual with the exception of the quarterbacks, but at the very beginning, it was quarterbacks as well. Everybody was available to special teams based on uh, uh, who fit the description uh, of each position on each special teams unit. The uh, uh, coaches, every single, we had uh, uh, my son, in fact, was the special teams coordinator for us. Uh, he's now at USC. Uh, he uh, had every coach and the staff serve in a special teams role. So uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a position coach that wasn't invested on our special teams. And, uh, and at the same time, you know, which is uh, doesn't directly uh, impact the special teams, but we always had, when we had special teams work, uh, we had people designed to work on fundamentals with every other player in the program. <clears throat> so anybody that was not on a special team, particular special teams group on defense uh, would work on <clears throat> engaging with a sled and playing off a block or form tackling uh, basic fundamental things. Uh, everybody on offense uh, would be invested in, you know, working on a blocking sled, doing agility drills, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody was at work. There wasn't, uh, we had 130 guys on the field, 130 guys were at work during that period of, uh, period of time. So uh, we invested in uh, uh, keeping our guys active, which was important to me. And, and the reason was, uh, because I didn't want, you know, a young person. I, I'd been in it long enough to realize that there are a lot of young guys that didn't want to be on special teams because that's when they got a break. Yeah. They got 15 minutes or so uh, that they didn't have to do anything except watch. So right. uh, we uh, invested in putting everybody to work. But uh, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> well, yeah. um kind of switching gears here and I like this question um, from uh, Patrick Garvin what were some measures you took to balance time with your own family with the time required to invest in your players and your program well you know that was uh, that was something that you know at, at, at the very beginning like I said you know I was coaching for 50 whatever it was 54 years <clears throat> and at the very beginning I was I was not a good family person uh, I mean, I would, I would leave before anyone was up and everybody was asleep when I got home and I, I didn't really get uh, invested in it. And it pained me, uh, because I love my family, but, and it pained me and I, it took me a while to, to figure it out. But, uh, I think, uh, you know, in the, in the largest portion of my career, uh, everything, we have five children. 
have eight grandchildren, four great grandchildren, big family. Uh, I talked to every single family member every day. And if, uh, of course, you know, my, Sean, uh, my son, Sean, worked with us, so that was easy. I got to see him every day. Everybody else, uh, either I would have come by the office, uh, I would go home uh, to see and then come back to the office, uh, or I would get on the telephone. But I, I spent time <clears throat> with every family member every day. And it's a habit that's carried over to uh, today, and I still do exactly the same thing. Coach, I have a, a question here from uh, Army's tight end coach, Matt Drinkall. Uh, kind of a two-part. His question was, if you could go back to uh, those first 10 years of your career, what's something you would have done differently? Well, I, uh, there's, there's probably some individual uh, uh, things, I believe. I think one you just mentioned, I think I would have gotten more heavily invested with the time element with my family. Uh, I think the uh, one of the things that I, I won't say the first 10 years, but the first uh, <clears throat> two or three years, uh, I remember going to tell you the story, which will identify that. Uh, I, had, I had coached at a small school in Gallatin, Missouri, Gallatin High School, 100 students. Uh, I, was, I was there for one year. <clears throat> went back to Eastern New Mexico, got my master's degree there, and then uh, found a coaching position at uh, Indio High School. And I was at Indio High School in, in Southern California for a couple years. And then uh, I went to the University of Southern California uh, as a, really a peon. It was, uh, you know, what we now call a graduate assistant. Not that they are peons, but uh, my time there was uh, kind of uh, uh, different, I think. And John McKay was head football coach, and I was there, excuse me, for one semester. And then Indio High School offered me the head football position, so I went back as a head coach at Indio High School. But when I went back, I wasn't there very long. And one of the coaches that I had in the program came up to me and asked if he could if we could talk privately. And we did. And he said, Coach, he said, uh, either you need to change your ways or you're going to lose your entire coaching staff. And it was, I was the coach trying to coach everything. I was trying to coach every single player that, that I could. And consequently, uh, the uh, uh, it, it didn't go well uh, with the with the assistant coaches, and so I learned to, uh, you know, to make sure that all coaches had that opportunity, and that was part of the reason why, you know, fast forwarding a long period of time, that uh, in our staff meetings uh, during my college coaching, that we as a head coach, that we always met together and and laid it all on the table, you know, everything we were doing and kind of uh, scrutinized each other in that respect, you know, so that we were all definitely on the same page and it wasn't as though I was out there coaching their position for them. So I wanted them to be able to do their, do their job. Uh, yeah, I, that's, I don't know if there's much more that I can think of that, uh, uh, that I would uh, change. I, I'm sure as I, if I, when we get off the broadcast and I think forward, <laughs> probably come to me. Yeah. Well, Coach Drake also wanted to know, would there be anything in those last 10 years of your career that you would have done differently? Uh, oh, I, I think probably maybe become a little bit more invested. You know, you tend to, uh, you know, back away a little bit the longer you get there. And uh, maybe the meetings might not have been quite as long and the practices weren't uh, uh, I wasn't quite quite as invested, maybe as uh, as I could have been, should have been. 
Well, Coach, uh, a couple more questions here, just in respect for your time. And, and uh, guys, a lot of great questions out there asking those. We tried to get to as many of those or kind of consolidate what we could here. Had a, quite a few questions just come up, um, you know, again, about um, leadership. And we've touched on some of those things. I think this is a, a good question here and one that, you know, we probably all have to face it sometimes. How do you deal with a disgruntled player even when you've done all you can do to love them? Um, and, and Coach uh, JP here mentions maybe their expe expectations are unrealistic. How do you bring them down to earth? Or how do you, how do you I guess, continue to love them when they really are, are disgruntled with what's happening? Well, I think, you know, the, <clears throat> the important thing is that uh, a young person uh, has a feeling of consequences, that there are never consequences for <clears throat> excuse me, whatever that behavior might be, uh, then you're probably not going to eliminate the behavior that you're uh, trying to. And so consequently, I think that, uh, I, I think too many times as coaches, we, uh, we try to talk an individual into being a certain type of person. And uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you go over the speed limit, uh, they give you a ticket. Uh, you know, if they, if they say, you know, slow down, don't go as fast, uh, and don't give you a ticket, uh, you're probably going to go as fast. Uh, <clears throat> but when they give you that ticket, then you start thinking, hey, you know, they're, they're serious about this. And uh, if I get another one, I'm in some serious trouble. And so consequently, I think you have to have some groundwork in regards to consequences. So, but it's important that they understand what the consequences are before they commit whatever uh, issue that they, that they might, you know, and, and when they become disgruntled, it's normally playing time and it's being able to, you know, uh, make them understand that uh, you, you want to play the best that are out there. I mean, that's uh, the plight of every coach. You know, nobody's, nobody's playing favorites. Uh, but if there's, uh, if you're going to stay disgruntled, then we either are not going to have you on the football team or we're gonna, not going to dress you or whatever the case may be, whatever you set, whatever guidelines you set. But nevertheless, I think you have to have uh, <clears throat> guidelines for virtually everything and then you have to follow whatever, whatever those happen to be and uh, whatever the consequences are, not being afraid to, uh, to impart the consequences. You know, I think sometimes, you know, as coaches, we have that quote unquote star player, so to speak, and we're afraid uh, to uh, discipline the individual for whatever reason. And uh, consequently, you know, we allow him to continue to be who he is. And he's more detrimental to the entirety of the football team being there than he could be if he wasn't there. And so, you know, placing the consequences, whatever they happen to be in place. Uh, and, and, it, and it brings the attention of everybody else as well. They understand you as a coach are going to follow through with whatever guidelines you have established. You know, because too many times, and I've been guilty of this, let's go back to that previous question, you know, I was guilty of that, you know, as a very young coach, <clears throat> that I would lay down the guidelines, but then uh, when push comes to shove, you know, sometimes I didn't follow through, you know, when I should have, and that created more problems than, uh, than it should have. Well, Coach, looking back at um, just an outstanding career, uh, certainly a lot of lessons along the way, and you've been a great example for coaches. But as you look at the, the, the body of work, what would you say, you know, if you had to point to one thing, this is what I did as a coach that really gave my guys the winning edge both on and off the field? Well, I think it boils down. I, I mean, there's a, a variety of different things that you do as a coach. <clears throat> and one of the uh, most significant things to me right I have tons of boxes full of letters and emails and cards from previous players, you know, talking about how significant uh, our program was in their lives. You know, so many will say, you know, I didn't get it then, but I certainly get it now. And it's allowed me to become successful in this, this, or this. 
though, you know, hearing from players uh, defining that they have reached some of those successes and some of those goals in their life and uh, indicating that uh, they felt that the program itself and the value system of the program played a great role in that. Well, Coach, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I want to thank you for just providing a great example um, and inspiration for the coaching profession. I know these guys uh, are, you know, right now in a time where they're shut down uh, all day long, have been investing time and watching coaches and learning from coaches. And I know a lot of them were excited that you came here. So thank you for taking the time and uh, giving us some insight into your career and what you believe in as a coach. Well, thank you very much. And I wish each and every one of the coaches that are out there the very best of uh, good fortune and success and uh, a great life. Thank you, coach. Bye now. Bye-bye now.